Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10, uh, that we might be reminded of the context, and it's fairly integral to the response of the apostles in this, this passage. I'll begin reading with the first verse through the tenth verse. Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you this morning in the name of Christ to sit at the feet of the evangelist Luke, to hear these words that you inspired him infallibly by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have not remained hidden, that you reveal yourself most fully in your eternal word, our Savior, that you have also given us these infallible words written, that we might be taught, corrected and reproved and instructed in all righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work in Christ Jesus. And so we ask this morning that you would give us your spirit, that you would come and prepare our hearts, that your word would not return unto you void, but rather would bear fruit in our lives. We ask, Father, that we would bear the fruit of repentance of our sin that is revealed, that you would strengthen and increase and fortify our faith and trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that you would encourage us in every good work of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come in from the field, Go and sit down to meat? And will he not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may suck, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever and his people said, Amen. Here we have the response of Jesus' apostles. It is the apostles that are responding to this, even though the previous paragraph is addressed to all the disciples. And we know that unless they have dismissed themselves because of the rebuke that he has given in the previous chapter, that there are there also Pharisees. And they hear this command that they ought not to uh, oppress or burden or offend or ensnare their brethren, but rather rather to to seek their reconciliation, their recovery from their sins, with a rebuke, but also with uh, that forgiveness that is the proper answer to true repentance. But we know our heart. 
We know how easy it is to bear a grudge, particularly if somebody was to sin against us in seven different ways in a day and each time ask for repentance. We know how hard it is because when we read that in verse 4, we ourselves are saying, well, that is, that just can't be what Jesus means. And we're making those sorts of statements because we know that we, we tend not to forgive. The, the, uh, the inclination is to hold the grudge, to, to revenge ourselves upon the offenses of others. I mean, we live in a world filled with uh, YouTube videos and TikTok videos and other sorts of smartphone videos of people going off on cops and uh, retail workers and just neighbors that, that create discord. And we oftentimes glorify that, that attitude that takes nothing off nobody, right? And we, we tend to look upon weakness. When you are reading, when we were here last week and we're looking at this passage, did we not think... Jesus can't mean for us to be pushovers. He doesn't, of course. Because he talks about rebuking them and restoring them. But we also know, on the honesty of our hearts, that this is a hard work to do. So the apostles, in all humility, answer as reasonably and nobly as possible, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus answers that in an odd way. Uh, two odd ways, really. We have the answer in verse 6 and the parable in verses uh, 7 through 9. And, and we'll, let's look at verse 6 first. He says to them, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. That's an odd answer. It sounds like a rebuke. It sounds like it could be that Jesus is saying, look, the, the faith that measures a, a mustard seed, you've seen the mustard seeds, the little bitty, bitty round things. If you had even that much faith, you could cause the sycamine or the mulberry bush to, to, to unplant itself and to plant itself in the middle of the sea as if it were on dry land. And instead of encouraging his disciples' faith, he may, it, it could come across as, as a discouragement. But that's not what Jesus is doing. What he is telling them is that the least measure of faith is sufficient to do his will. What he's saying is, is that faith is not one of these things that we... That we uh, that we have to make room for in a literal sense, and we measure and, and that sort of thing. Uh, that's not what faith is. Faith is not even a work that we, that we measure by energy uh, given, but that rather it is it's merely a, a, a trusting, believing the Lord, taking him at his word, realizing that that what he says is not only true, but is good. That what he promises can be relied on. That he, wants, he warns us of must be heeded. 
And that if he intends for us good things, that he's given us the power to do it in him. Faith is not a work, but it's humbly entrusting the Lord to do that good thing which he designs for us. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, when he talks about the duty of humility and seeking each other's unity, and he puts before us Christ who denied himself uh, and by that was exalted in heaven. He then goes on in verse 12 to say, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We see how that this, even when we are working out our own salvation, it is the, the, the energy, the, the work that is actually being done is the Lord in us. And therefore, what we need to do is to deny ourselves and be found in the image of Christ, to let Christ shine through and dominate. And then we can do those things that he puts before us. If you look in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13, very well-known passage. Uh, He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed to be both full and to suffer want, to be hungry, uh, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We note that Paul didn't say this to to encourage him before he went out onto the football field. Uh, He said this to encourage him to do the hard things. And, and he has these extremes to, to suffer want and to abound, to be hungry and, and to be with a surfeit of, of food. Uh, because it is the extremes that are the hardest to bear. To, to bear poverty with virtue is not easy. To bear wealth with virtue is not easy. It is impossible for a rich man uh, To enter into the kingdom of God. Or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than do so. How can anybody be saved, says his apostles. With man it is impossible, says Jesus. But all things are possible with God. And that is my faith. This is, by the way, an argument against those that would say that we have to add works to our faith. Because faith is the spring of our works. The disciples didn't say... Give us this work of mercy to do. Give us the energy to do this work of mercy. They were asking for that. But what did they ask for? They asked for faith. Because it's the more we trust the Lord, the more we realize that we receive the mercy of the Lord, the easier it is for us to be merciful. And so the least measure is sufficient to do his will. But by all means because he's not rebuking his disciples here, let's ask for more. Uh, Let's ask for that increase in faith or make it firmer in our reliance upon Jesus Christ. Uh, Faith is God's grace. For years, Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 8, 9, and 10, for you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And it is the gift of God, by the way, uh, to, to do the Lord's work, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
And so that freeness and liberty, you know, we're not saved by works, but we're saved in order to work. Uh, We're not saved from our sins to leave us in our sin. We're saved from our sins that we might be victorious over the works of the devil. And therefore it follows. He says, trust me for your salvation. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient. It is the gift of grace. Christ himself is the author and finisher of our faith, says Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2 of Hebrews. So how much faith do we need? We just need faith. And he demonstrates this by the second odd sort of thing he does in answering this, um, uh, this request. He then goes and humbles us and says, your work has no merit anyway. He says, which of you that has a servant? I'm trying to find my place. Plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him immediately when he comes in from the field, go and sit down to meat. And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did that which he has commended him? I think not. I mean, in other words... He's just doing his duty. Uh, the, the, however, the servant is paid. is probably a slave. Uh, he gets room and board. And this is his duty to do for the room and board. And the master owes him no thanks besides. And he says, likewise you in serving the Lord. Uh, when you have done all that you are commanded to do, you say we are unprofitable servants. We have done simply which was our duty. Because the thing is, we can't profit the Lord. And Job, remember a few years back when we were going through the book of Job, Job, uh, Eliphaz in the book of Job, chapter 22, says, Can a man, verse 2, says, Can a man be profitable unto God as he is that is wise might be profitable to himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou makest thy way perfect? As David in Psalm 16, 2 and 3, he says, My goodness does not extend to you, O Lord, and therefore it will extend to the saints that are in the land, in whom is all my delight. I can't do you any more good. I can't improve your situation who is infinitely blessed. But I can do good to those that you love and who love you. That's the foundation of the commands and the law. To the second one, particularly, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's likened to the first. Because it is in our doing good for those that can need it, those that belong into the Lord, that we show our love and devotion to the Lord. Uh, we can't, uh, in the old times, this is called works of supererogation. We can't do more than what's required of us. Think of the law. In Luke chapter 10, 27 to 28, uh, we have the, the answer to Jesus' question, what does the law require? And Jesus confirms that that's the correct answer, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your uh, soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Well, think about the language there. What can you give more than all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind? You simply can't. You know, we talk about giving 110 percent, but it's because we're not really all that mindful of our mathematics, right? We can't give more than we have. Uh, If we could, we're probably stealing something from somebody else, right? We're not giving our own. 
And we owe all that we have unto the Lord. It's not like uh, we get a little bit of our goodness from here and a little bit of our goodness from here. We only owe God about 80% of our blessedness. All of it comes from the Lord. All things come from the Lord. Even the blessedness that we receive through the hard things of life come from the Lord. The servant, he couldn't become more valuable and profitable through no amount of exertion of duty. The danger was that he would be less than profitable or less than unprofitable. That uh, our best works are not to the measure of our whole heart, mind, strength, and body. So our, our whole being is not devoted to the Lord. We fall far short And in so doing, we incur guilt. So Jesus is humbling them, but he's not humbling them to discourage them. This answer is not to discourage the apostles in their quest for faith to forgive their brethren. He is rather directing them to the source of what they need. Because especially under the, the, the instruction of faith here, if we turn back uh, to what they've already heard their Savior say in chapter 12, verses 32 through and following, through 37, uh, Jesus says, and this is why I don't like paragraph Bibles, but anyway, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not, where no thief approaches and neither doth moth corrupt. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken the men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, you may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Here, Jesus says the opposite. He says that the master will indeed serve the the servants. Does Jesus contradict himself? No. Jesus in our passage this morning, he's talking about the merit merit of our works and that we rely upon our works and our energy, that we are going to go astray and we will never find enough to really do those things like forgiving those that offend us. But that when we remember that the Lord doesn't reward us according to our merit, but according to His grace and mercy and goodness, that He desires to give us the kingdom, He desires that we walk in His ways, He desires that we be merciful even as he is merciful. And therefore he gives us the grace to be merciful and to forgive. It's not about being great in the kingdom of God or working great things. And that's not how great things in the kingdom of God are wrought. But they're wrought through humble reliance, humble faithfulness, Humble taking, humbly taking the Lord at his word. He tells us woe to those that cause offense to these sinners, these publicans that are seeking to be delivered out of their sin. 
And when one comes repentant, that you receive him. Well, that is the glory and the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. It is what the Father delights to give. And that increases our faith. So the warning then is that you have what you need to do his will. When you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have no excuse really not to do his will that you know that is plain. That forgive those that are repentant. Uh, if, if you don't, it's because you will not do it. Oftentimes, that is what is the great obstacle of doing the Lord's will. It's because we just don't want to. And, and in that case, better is the answer of, of the one seeking relief for his child when he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that's Mark 9. It would be wise to listen to the parable in verse 10 and ask yourself, in refusing to do the Lord's will, are we strong enough to stand before the Lord, making ourselves less than unprofitable servants? But again, Jesus answers his disciples in order to encourage them. Our Lord would have you made bold to do his will. By grace, you are saved through faith, and even that faith is the gift of God, that you might do the works of the Lord. He knows you struggle with sin. He knows it's hard. He knows that when he commands his sin-sick children, those that he redeems, there is still that, that work of the devil that lies within us. Sometimes the devil himself or one of his devils come and, and work spiritually upon us to oppose him, to, to react immediately and a no, I will not do it. He knows that we have doubts and worries and fears. He knows that oftentimes our faith is barely the faith of a grain of mustard seed. Which is why he has told us that that's all it takes to cast the mulberry bush into the sea or the mountains into the sea. And in a different passage, he knows your weakness and he offers himself. He knows you are sinners and he redeems you anyway. He receives you because he doesn't send you out as sinners. He didn't send Zacchaeus out uh, a manipulator and corrupt publican, but as a generous rich man. So as people of the apostolic faith, we follow the apostolic example, and we ask in order to receive. We seek in order to find. We knock knowing that our Savior will indeed open unto us because the Father desires to give us the kingdom. The Father desires us to win over the works of Satan. The Father desires us not to offend and ensnare our brethren, but to seek their wholeness in purity and in peace. When the going gets tough, we go to the Lord, and he will give us what we need in him. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask indeed that you would give us the strength to do your will. That you would humble us. That we would know that we have no merit before you. And that we can't earn merit. And yet, you don't require it. Father, give us to know that we can trust you in all things. That we can rest upon our Savior and find all that we need to do your will. Give us hearts that love you, that will indeed do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And his people said, Amen. Amen.